ಸಂಬುಧಸ ಭಗವತೋ ಸಂಬುಧಸ ನಮೋಥಸ ಭಗವತೋ ಸಂಬುಧಸ ನಮೋಥಸ ಭಗವತೋ ಸಂಬುಧಸ ಪುಟಂ ಧಮಂ ಸಂಖಂ ನಮಸ್ಸಿ So uh, the beginning of a, I didn't do it on the first one but the beginning of a dharma talk uh, is traditional or helpful really for the person giving the talk to pay homage to the buddha and uh, that's a reminder for us you know giving the talk that any wisdom that might be coming through isn't ours it's uh, what we've um discovered or or learnt through the through the buddha and his teaching So uh, even though I I don't want to stop you doing because it's so nice to hear you chanting Namo Tassa you don't actually need to because it's kind of the thing that we are doing for our own orientation but if you like to chant it it's a beautiful thing <laughs> Yeah So we've come to the fifth fold in the eightfold path right livelihood and as I sit and look out at everyone I um somehow it feels a little I feel it's a, a little tender or something like that about speaking about right livelihood because it's a difficult it's a difficult thing to to find it's a difficult thing to do and to find in the world and so i'm sort of looking out wondering if there are people feeling like heavy hearted or awkward as i start to speak about right livelihood um i imagine there will be some people in the room who who will feel that their lives are not sustained really through like right livelihood and then you know one has to look at what then what so it's balancing so many things you know one has to survive in the world make a living and uh, and these days it is really difficult i think to find genuine right livelihood because everything is linked with everything else and there is you know massive corruption in the world and exploitation of uh, in many ways so it's complicated <clears throat> and um even even as as a monastic you think this is like oh this is totally definitely right livelihood but even that can can be uh, misused so you know we live entirely on on arms on the on the generosity of others you know because people have faith that we we're using the the practice well and we are doing what we say we're doing which is which is living you know an uh, an honest and uh, simple life of practice in order to awaken so that's our um so it's important for us to to keep on track with that because uh you know we're supported entirely but even though we're not earning a wage we are supported entirely by your generosity the generosity of people in order to to live our lives of practice so if we're not doing that then we're kind of misusing the support that we're given <clears throat> so uh, right livelihood it does it needs um it needs proper attention um you know it's it's a large part of a person's life and uh our you know we, we need to look at not only what are we what what are we doing to earn money what what are you doing to earn money <laughs> can't really say we for that one what are you doing to earn money um 
but also like how are you using that money you know what what do you need the money for so if you have a very extravagant lifestyle then you need to earn a lot of money and then you kind of make concessions in in what you're doing in order to enjoy an opulent lifestyle you say well i need to, you know i need to do this rather unwholesome thing because i need this much money because i need to keep my nice lifestyle going it's uh, that's a bit of a you know, you're you're going down the wrong track there so um I just uh, read a couple of quotes from the from the Buddha. And what is right livelihood? This is the case where a disciple of the noble ones, having abandoned dishonest livelihood, keeps their life going with right livelihood. This is called right livelihood. It's one of those. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so then the Buddha lists uh, the the five kinds of livelihood one should not engage in: dealing in weapons, dealing in human beings, dealing in meat, dealing in intoxicants, and dealing in poison. So, uh, yeah. Sadly, dealing in human beings is still, even though it's it's uh, it's a bit more undercover, is still a, a huge, a huge uh, racket worldwide. Um, dealing in weapons, as we all know, enormous amount of money gets uh, tied up in dealing in weapons and and keeping people dependent on having weapons. America is, uh, you know, American. Gun laws and all of that is, is uh, there's a lot of money tied up in keeping uh, an investment in ordinary folks having big guns, and then there's of course the the weapon selling weapons to other countries, other people. It's it's a it's a, an awful mess. It's a terrible mess worldwide. So uh, clearly, dealing in weapons is. Is not would not be considered right livelihood. It's uh, dealing in uh, uh, killing machines, and then dealing in human beings is obviously is also very obvious wrong livelihood. Uh, dealing in meat, this, this could be you know something that slips into many people's lives. If you work in a store, and then you're selling meat, it's it's kind of Probably that'll be going on for some people here, um, and then dealing in intoxicants. I know a lot of people to get a bar job can be quite helpful for a while, you know. So, but just to to recognise that dealing in, with in, in intoxicants, you're encouraging people to be confused and to potentially get addicted. So, dealing in intoxicants is under the heading of right of wrong. Livelihood, and just coming back to meat for a moment. The meat industry, as we know, is is a is a nightmare industry. If you don't know, please um, learn about it. Um, and then it, it brings up the question: Should I be vegetarian or vegan? And uh, you know, the Buddha didn't say you should be vegetarian or you should be vegan. He he did say it's up to the individual to decide. But uh, when we look now at the at the industry of 
uh, that produces the meat that is sold in the butchers' shops and in the stores. It's a it's a really terrible, terrible industry where the the animals no longer have any. Uh, they are c- completely related to as, as um, products from from birth to death, and uh, and even even in conception, actually conception, birth and death are right right the way through. So, uh, where if you do eat meat, really consider where that's coming from, and uh, take in the reality of the of what's going on behind the scenes of that. And and then the the fifth one is dealing in poison, which is kind of obvious. It speaks for itself. So um, so to just to look at your at your life and your livelihood, and you know, is are you in a large way part of, part of any of those wrong livelihoods and and if so really seriously consider what you're doing in your life so i have had people come to me in the past and said you know i'm doing this or i'm doing that and and uh what do you think and I, and i've said i think you should change your job you know because a large part of one's life is spent earning earning money uh and um it's this life is so precious, you know. We can we can just sort of get onto a bit of a roll of like, oh yeah, this is what we do, and then we do this, and you know, you've got to get a job, and you've got to have the right clothes, and you've got to have the, you know, to be able to get around and have a vacation, and and then, and so we we find the the means to do the to live the life we think we're supposed to be living, based on what our society tells us that we're supposed to be living, and then, um, in a way, we're kind of selling our precious life away for the in the in the wrong way so you know t- to find a right livelihood something that's you know benefiting others is is harmless um, uh, where there's a sense of um that that when you're w- working that job you can feel a sense of okayness about what you're doing, at least, at least okayness about what you're doing. Um, and then, you know, some people are able to uh, create work that is that is beneficial. You know, the entrepreneur, create a business or um, uh, employ others, you know, that, that's doing work that's benefiting others. So I was thinking actually as I was walking up about this place, it's pretty amazing, isn't it? This place, uh, which employs people to help run a, a, a little Dharma realm, it's quite amazing. So there's a, there's a, an an opportunity, or opportunities have been created through this uh, place, through this retreat centre, for very very high level of right livelihood. Most of us are not going to be able to get that to that higher level of right livelihood as working here. Um, but just to really look at what is the, you know, wh- what are the consequences of, of one's, one's work, and then uh, also to bring what is what am I bringing to that, you know, what is, what is what are we each bringing to our, to our livelihood. Um, this may be a little controversial, and I, I sort of hesitate saying it because it's being recorded, but. Um, <laughs> 
Uh, I'm just rem- I'm rec- I'm remembering a time when um, there was a, a rat infestation in in the monastery in England, <clears throat> in the nuns not in the nuns' quarters but in the women guest quarters, and uh, a decision was made uh, to call in the you know, the, the um, pest control after various attempts of other attempts and uh, it was kind of a big deal and I as Hans Chita and I were kind of key people in deciding to do that. We were both um, we both had responsibilities in the monastery which were connected with the place where this was going on and we decided together to do that and to consciously take on the karma of of that, of those little rats dying. So we did that. And uh, I still remember the man who came to do that job. He was a young guy, um, dressed all in black, with black shoes with cat written on them, which I still always remember. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and um, he was a very, very kind man. He he was a, he was a very kind person. So I was expecting some kind of really rough guy who was gonna just like really enjoy killing all those rats. But it, it, it wasn't at all like that. He's very kind, gentle fellow. And and I realised what his intention is is to help the people who are in that situation where their their places are overrun with rats or whatever it is. His intention was was actually quite quite beautiful. It, it, it seemed to me. And that that really struck me because it's like you have this idea of what a what a job is, you know, and then there's what one brings to it. So I'm not saying that killing animals is right, it isn't, but it but it, the um, the intention of that man clearly wasn't wasn't a evil intention. It was to benefit the people who were in trouble, you know, and. Um, so what we bring to our work is also really important. So as I say, it's, it's difficult to find a livelihood that is really pure, that, that where, there's, where there's no repercussions somewhere that, that is harmful. And so, you know, even if it's like a few steps away from our actual, actual work. And so what we bring to our work is really, really important. You know, the, like the way we treat our fellow workers and the people we work with our uh, if we're a boss you know the way we treat the people we employ um, how we treat customers all of those things it's like not just because you're supposed to because you want to sell things but because it's the right thing to do you know so uh, just looking at at that in your own lives of uh, you know what what is sustaining your life what is it that you're doing that sustains your life? And then, what does sustaining your life mean? Is it sustaining a, a rather opulent lifestyle that's that's not really necessary, or is it uh, is it enough? So one of the the things to consider when when looking at one's life uh, one's livelihood. Is um, and one's lifestyle actually is is there a balance? You know, are you are you spending more than you're earning, or are you earning tons more than you need to spend? And then, you know, the Buddha is pointed to like just find a balance there, and he uses the image of a of a goldsmith with those sensitive scales 
that a goldsmith would have and you know, the goldsmith knows that if they've just put a little bit more on this side of the scale it's going to tip and you want to find a balance. So just looking at that also in your own, in your own lives <coughs> of uh, what, you know, partly what is generated through your work and also how much does there need, how much do you need, how much does there need to be? And uh, a little bit surprisingly, the Buddha also speaks about acting as as wrong livelihood. Not, not it's not listed as one of the things one shouldn't do. It's not one of the five. But there's a, a sutta where an actor goes to the Buddha and says, "Oh, I'm an actor, and I'm told, you know, I've I've heard that uh, if you act, if you're an actor and you make people laugh and make people happy, then you go to the realm of the devas of laughter." And uh, and the Buddha, is that true? And then the Buddha says, don't ask me that. And then, then they ask it again, you know. I, they, they say that you go to the realm of the, of the devas of laughter. Is that true? Is, don't ask me that. And so this guy asked him three times, and then the third time he says, you know, if, uh, if, you're, <coughs> if you're acting, in your acting you're arousing passion and greed, and you're stimulating that passion and greed in others, then... You will not go to the realm of, of laughing Davis, but you'll go to you know some lower realm. So uh, then this poor actor is like, what? You know, they've been telling me all these you know, generations of people have been telling me I'm going to go to the to the realm of Davis, and I'm actually not. And so uh, so this is his his reasoning as to why acting is seen as a, an, an unhelpful livelihood. Which is uh, anyway. I'll come back to that, and then uh, being a soldier also. So, being a soldier is is uh, if you're developing the sense of the enemy and ill will, and wanting to kill the enemy, and the enemy, so-called the other the person on the other side, is is developing the same quality. Both of you are developing harmful qualities. So even to be as a sol- you know, as a soldier, even though it's, there can be very noble intention, the if the if the heart and the mind is uh, filled with with ill will and the wish to kill, then it's harmful, obviously. So you know these things are not black and white, uh, or not uh, simple, and. Uh, Obviously, if one is acting, you know, and and the and the and the work you're doing as an actor is actually kind of helping people to wake up, then it's great. And if you're, uh, they say that the karma of of uh, a soldier is, you know, there's still one still receives heavy karma if one kills whatever for whatever reason, but the karma of a soldier will be much less than the karma of someone who has like murderous thoughts towards somebody, you know, it's like a, just an independent killer, so to speak. So uh, uh, the karma of a soldier is, is much less. But it's still, there still is karma. As, as you can see, actually, people who come back from war have uh, terrible, many people have terrible uh, difficulty and stress and PTSD and all that, you know. So... So I don't want to say that being a soldier is one of the five listed wrong livelihoods, but it is, you know, it, it, it's, uh, 
it does lead to a lot of suffering. And then there's monastics. And uh, the Buddha speaks about monastics uh, if, if we're using our... He actually, there's an enormously long list of things that we're not supposed to be doing, actually. But, um, if the monastics are using our practice or our time or, our, our, or the support of the requisites, really, for um, fortune-telling or divination and doing this kind of stuff for other people, then that's uh, seen as, as wrong livelihood. Or if, if uh, I mean, I think it would very unlikely it would be happening now, but back in those days, if the monastic sangha use uh, doing sacrifices, like blood sacrifices, which, you know, certain sects in India did and probably still do, that would be obviously considered wrong livelihood. So I think you can extrapolate that um, if the monastics are um, pretty much doing anything other than practicing for awakening, it, it's, it's off. Yeah. No, seriously, I mean it. Because, it, you know, when you live off other people's generosity every day, that, that's quite a responsibility. It's not to, it's not to just, uh, oh, this is, a, this is a cushy deal, you know. <laughs> get to hang out in retreat centers and get all this lovely food every day and people are so respectful, you know. <laughs> So uh, we have to do our bit to make that uh, so that your offerings aren't aren't empty offerings, but that, that there's uh, some like I was talking before about the rippling effect. You know, that there's that there's benefit to your offerings. Uh, now, I mean, since uh, since a long time, actually, there are people who who you know, dress up as monastics and and sort of who aren't monastics, but they wear the robe and have a bowl and and uh, beg for money. So you see them all over the place. Actually, in, in America now, there's quite a few people who do that, and India, they're all over the place, and uh, many countries. And in fact, there's a, there's one man in a town that uh, I find myself in from time to time, who is so very, who is very obviously not a monk, who was dressed in a robe and with a with a bowl, arms bowl, so sitting outside a store at, in the afternoon, and. Uh, Oh, I saw that. Ouch! That's really wrong livelihood. That's very unfortunate to be doing that. So I went to speak to him, you know, and he was like, "Oh, you're a monk." And I was like, "Yeah, well, kind of, yeah." And um, I spoke with him, and, and it kind of spelled it out to him, like how it, it, he would be much better doing anything other than what he's doing. Don't, don't do that. <laughs> it's very, very bad karma. And. Um, Unfortunately, the next time I was in the same town, I saw him again, and I just said, maybe, well, <laughs> because he doesn't see it. He's maybe a little crazy. Yeah. So, But it's really not a good thing to be doing. So, anyway. Um, and then in terms of the... Yeah, it's true when you're crazy. That, that even in the, in the Vinaya for the monastics, if you're crazy, it's like, okay, you're crazy. You're, you're exempt. <laughs> so it's true, if you're crazy, it's not, it's not such heavy karma. But it's not great karma to be in that situation in the first place, really. And then in terms of the, the Noble Eightfold Path, the Buddha points to uh, three, three different aspects of the path that support right livelihood. And how is right livelihood the forerunner of... Uh, sorry, let's say that again. And how is right view the forerunner of right livelihood? 
One discerns wrong livelihood as wrong livelihood and right livelihood as right livelihood. And what is wrong livelihood? And now we're going getting into a bit more subtlety here. Scheming, persuading, hinting, belittling, and pursuing gain with gain. This is wrong livelihood. One tries to abandon wrong livelihood and enter into right livelihood. This is right effort. One is mindful to abandon wrong livelihood and develop uh, and enter in and remain in right livelihood. This is right mindfulness. Right view, right effort and right mindfulness circle around right livelihood. So those those three qualities are a support for right livelihood. So if you have right livelihood already, if you feel like, "Mm -hmm, yes, it's pretty much right livelihood, then uh, probably you've already been engaging those qualities to get there in the first place. So, uh, and the the path is, it's alive, you know, it's alive here and now. So it's, it's always supporting itself. And, uh, And so obviously if there's wrong livelihood, then there's, there can be a sense of uh, like uh, having to a little bit split yourself in two. You know, you have a spiritual practice, but then there's this kind of really bit dodgy livelihood, and and then you sort of justify it, but then you really get, you want to get down to the practice. It's there's a, the energy is very very dissipated. There, it's divided, and if you really want to wake up, you kind of got to get things a bit better lined up as best as best we can. So uh, I would like to read a poem now from the same book. So this is from the, as I said before, this is the this is a adaptation, translation slash adaptation of the Terigata. Uh, the Terigata is the, is the oldest collection of uh, verses of, uh, like poems of women in the world, actually. And uh, it's uh, the poems of enlightened, mostly enlightened nuns. There's one or two who aren't enlightened, but it's mostly the poems of enlightened nuns. And this one is about uh, right livelihood of monastics. And it's uh, the the bhikkhuni, the enlightened bhikkhuni, the na- her name is Mutta, which means free. One morning, after begging for my breakfast, Looking down at one more meal I hadn't worked for, hadn't paid for, hadn't earned. A life of debts I could never repay, pushing in on all sides like the weight of the sea. I blinked, and a tear fell into my bowl. Would it always feel like this? Just as the moon rises up from the bottom of the sea, A handful of rice lifted itself from the bottom of my bowl, and my heart rose with it. I wish I could tell you how it tasted, that first bite of food as a free woman. So I'd like to offer that tonight. And, uh, you know, if you... It's, very, it's like right. It's, we're right in the middle of the retreat, and it feels like a little bit uh, 
I hope it's an okay time for you to have this uh, reflection on right livelihood because you might be going to bed tonight churning over like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So uh, just remember those, those three aspects of the path that will support you to move into right livelihood. Uh, right view, right effort, right mindfulness. And, uh, and also to really honour the potential of this human life that, uh, that each of us has the potential to awaken even if you might not feel like it we each have the potential to awaken and, and that it's, it really matters you know, you're, you're all here you've all come here you all have a, an aspiration and a, a recognition of what is true and what is beneficial and what is beautiful so uh, honour that. Put that. Put that on the shrine. Put that on your altar of life. Not uh, having the right this and the right that. And uh, let your life be uh, formed around that as much as you can. This is just my uh, wish, really, for you, to be honest. So, uh, so if you if you go to bed tonight feeling like, oh gosh, you know. Uh, my life's a mess, and I've got all these things going wrong, and I don't know what I'm going to do with about my livelihood. Just try to try to put that intention in the center of things, and uh, and take things a step at a time. That brings me. I need want to read another poem now. I'm not someone who usually reads poems in Dharma talks, but uh, I have rather fallen in love with this poetry. So, uh, is it here? Is it here? Oh. Yes. It's the last one. For the day. For the day. No. For today. For tonight. <laughs> oh, that's not it, actually. Hang on. <laughs> Give me a minute. Here we go. It's uh, Upasama. Bhikkhuni Upasama, who her name means calm. <clears throat> How do you cross the flood? You cross calmly, one step at a time, feeling for stones. How do you cross the flood, my heart? You cross calmly, one step at a time, or not at all. So I offer that tonight.